Hello and welcome to 21st Century Vitalism. I'm your host, Brett Kane, and uh, yeah, it's the day after the election. I'm currently recording this on Sunday uh, with my blissful ignorance. I don't really know what's up or down with that. So I just wanted to ask, are you guys doing okay? Um, I feel like whatever the results are, they're probably um, probably bad for different various reasons. I personally am not too happy with either of the candidates. Uh, so for me, it's kind of like a whoever wins, we lose. But there's different gradations of losing. So I definitely have a stint, um, a leaning, if you will. Um, you could probably guess what it is. I'm not going to say it, but make sure to take care of yourself this week. Uh, that's what this episode's about. It's about taking care of yourself. Um, it's a topic that's very near and dear. We haven't touched it since episode one. That is fitness. Um, this is definitely a key pillar of the show, and I'm going to keep revolving back to it because to be embodied, to have vitality, means to use your body. Um, as I say in the episode, uh, rest is rust. And Russ, as in R-U-S-T, not R-U-S-S, which is what it sounded like I said, which I may have said. I don't know. Um, today we're sitting down with David Ippel, who is a physical trainer who specializes in corrective exercise. Uh, we get into the details of what that means, how he does it, what that looks like, how it smells. Uh, spoiler alert, it smells sweaty because it's working out. Um, David is a really good friend of mine, um, maybe one of my best friends. Uh, don't tell him I said that. He's probably listening. I just don't want his ego to get big, any bigger it is. Um, but this is a great conversation. We get to cover so many topics, and he's so knowledgeable and informative. Uh, he literally knows everything there is to know about your body. Um, and, yeah, if you are in the West Michigan area, um, give him a reach out. All of his deets that are public are going to be in the description. I really suggest if you're interested in starting a physical practice, start with David, regardless of if you're going into yoga, going into this or that. He's really, really knowledgeable and can definitely help you figure out what your body's doing and help you kind of untangle it, so to speak. And uh, like I say in the episode, even just like one visit and you're going to have so much insight into how you work. Uh, it's fascinating. He's a fascinating dude and I am sure I'm going to be having him on multiple times as we both continue growing in our specialties and he understands more and more. Um, so yeah, take care of yourself. Be gentle to yourself this week. I know there's a lot going on, uh, whether we're celebrating, whether or not. Um, it's just a lot of energy, so be mindful that the collective subconscious is moving through a lot of things right now. Um, you know, despite whoever wins, the other half of the country is going to be pretty salty. So be kind, be compassionate, even if you don't agree with folks. Uh, whatever reasoning that they got to where they're at, um, my firm belief is that I genuinely think a majority of people are good. Um, and however they get to their political leanings, whether they support someone that we adamantly disagree with, I think that they got there in good faith. Whether or not they're mixed up or not is aside the point. Whether or not their actions have negative consequences, if they're not seeing it, I mean, they're responsible, but also just be kind. Um, in order to communicate effectively, we, we shouldn't be starting off with shame. Um, but I also understand, um, you know, dungeons are high sometimes. So however you want to carry forward, I'm trusting you to do the thing that you need to do. Um, yeah, so I'm not going to take up too much of your time because this conversation is stacked with good, juicy information. I honestly suggest getting a pen and pencil if you wish. Um, give David your full rapt attention because 
He says a lot of things, and all of them are very powerful and potent. I know I'm going to be re-listening, even though I've had these conversations with him, uh, because, like I said, we hang out a lot. So uh, without further ado, here is my good friend and yours, David Ippel. All right, David Ippel, welcome to 21st Century Vitalism, good sir. Uh, It's good to finally have you on. I've been kind of holding off to make sure that the timing was perfect for this episode because I feel like this is just going to be really ripe for the pick. And so, yeah, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Brett. I'm really, really excited to be on the show. Um, Been really, you know, looking forward to this conversation. I know we've been kind of diving into it over the last few weeks and trying to hold ourselves off from getting too in-depth before we do the podcast. But, you know, just really, really excited for the content we're about to dive into. Yeah, you got you to gotta pick when the fruit's ripe. And uh, it, exactly. was, it was ripening. It was always there. But, you know, I think we got a, we got a good pocket. Um, so for the folks who don't know who you are and what you do, you're a corrective exercise specialist as well as a physical trainer who actually recently got licensed but you wouldn't really be able to tell it if you work with you. Um, I actually think I was one of your guinea pigs um, when you were really stepping into that role. And I got to, you know, this is more for the listeners. And I mean, a little bit for you. Um, uh, the role that working with you has actually played in my life is pretty massive in that I've tried to get into exercise and fitness Um quite a few times throughout my life after high school uh, before I just didn't give a give a hoot but um everyone that I worked with it just was not comprehensive enough it really didn't give me a lot for my brain to chew on they just kind of told me exercises I thought I was doing them wrong they didn't really give me that many pointers you know they just kind of let me go um but when I worked with you um I guess the way that I would describe it is that you've kind of opened the door for me to actually see the importance of embodiment and to be able to like specifically isolate parts of your body and to really breathe into them. And uh, it, it honestly got me on the path of body work. It was a really big um, um, fire for that. So thank you. Um, as you've been a part of my history of fitness, I understand you probably have a different background you know you've been interested in this for a long time so i'm just kind of curious uh, to get us started off like what's your inspiration what has allowed you to cultivate the specific practice that you have because i think it is unique and yeah so you know it, it would it definitely was a big honor to uh have you as one of my first kind of guinea pigs after after i had completed college but actually well before that um even back when i was 14 15 years old for some reason, I just stepped into that role of training my friends back in high school. Um, you know, I'd be in the weight room and I had, you know, half a dozen friends who they just naturally uh, started following me and I started naturally teaching them how to exercise. And, you know, for me, it actually really started, uh, my whole journey started from injury. So I have had more injuries than I can count, um, really started back when um, when I was 14, we were in a weight training class with a teacher who, in my point of view today, was not adequate by any means. He did not teach us the way that we should be taught. Our first week of weight training class, he had us do um, max attempts on uh, very specified you know, Olympic lifts, such as uh back squat, deadlift, power clean, bench press, things that you know a 14-year-old boy 
you know, if, if, if they had the proper training, they absolutely can do those kind of lifts, but your very first week into weight training class, and he's having you put up, you know, your, your one rep max as heavy as you possibly can on a deadlift. Um, so that actually, you know, that for, I think two, maybe three of the guys in that class ended up experiencing pretty major injuries from, uh, from those, those, that poor teaching, um, so for myself, I had, had developed pretty, pretty bad back chronic or uh, chronic back issues, um, that required quite extensive physical therapy when I was 14. There was a couple other guys who had, um, herniated discs and it was just, honestly, it was just really poor teaching. Um, but it drove me to learn everything I could about exercise, about fitness, about technique, um, and that really, that, that kind of set me down the whole path that I am on now. Um, after that, I've experienced uh, several other weight training type injuries. Um, I've had, you know, torn hip flexor from playing football, uh, torn ligament in my elbow, um, torn hamstring. And really, you know, when I first was receiving all of these injuries, I was, I was just wondering, why am I so cursed? Why am I, you know, I felt like... A very physical being. I was very uh, good at weight training, very strong naturally, but I was just getting injured left and right. And, you know, for quite a few years, even, you know, back three, four years ago, it had me really, really depressed where I was, I just felt down. I felt down about myself. I felt, you know, why is it me that gets to experience all of these injuries? And I'll tell you, there were, there were points where I could not bend over to touch my toes. I couldn't bend over. There was a whole six month period where my partner, Randy had to help me tie my shoes because, uh, at that point I had been diagnosed with a, it's called a spondylolisthesis. So it is a, um, fracture and slippage of the L5 vertebrae, which, you know, when I was first diagnosed with that, it really seemed like, okay, you're done. This is, this is not, you can't train anymore. Doctors were telling me you shouldn't lift anything more than 20 pounds. And I was, I felt down and, um, it really, it, it took a lot of perseverance to get out of that place and get out of that mindset of, oh, you're cursed, you're cursed. You're having all these injuries because you shouldn't be doing these things. And my life just started changing when I started becoming really, really diligent about my practice. I started really, you know, every single morning practicing yoga, practicing stretching, working on the specific areas in my body that were really struggling. And all during this time, I'm going through college uh, for my exercise science degree and wondering the whole time, like, should I really be doing this? Am I a fraud? Um, but really, my, my whole mindset shifted from this downtrodden, cursed, injured person to, you know, I was I was gifted these injuries. I was gifted um, the experience of going through all this bullshit with my body. I was gifted that so that I can help others through that that same exact experience. I've been there. I've been at those places where chronic pain feels so overwhelming that you just don't really want to keep going forward. And, you know, I don't think that I would be the person that I am now, the trainer that I am now, if I didn't actually go through those experiences. If I, you know, was trying to teach people about chronic pain and teaching people how to get over injury without having previously been injured, that's kind of like 
a chef who doesn't even eat his own food. Yeah, like yeah. you, you don't want to go to a chef who uh, doesn't actually love food. You know, you want to you wanna really come from experience so that I can teach you properly. And it really, it gave me a lot of empathy. You know, you can't, you can't teach empathy. You have to go through life experience in order to gain true, true deep empathy. So when I see somebody who is struggling with pain, with injury, with um, chronic low back pain, I, all I want to do is reach out and help. If I could be doing this for free for the rest of my life, you, you'd better believe I'd still be doing it. Um, so that, you know, that really pushed me um, to get my degree, go through college, get, um, get certified as a personal trainer. And then after that, I went and got certified as a corrective exercise specialist. Um, so that, you know, that's, that's where I'm sitting now. Um, but that's, you know, that's where my journey started was, you know, through a lot of pain and turmoil and injury. As, uh, most good stories and journeys typically do, you know, there's always that instigating event that kind of forces the hero to kind of go down the path and to actually gain a sense yep. of understanding is the yep, fire and catalyst. Them, yeah. And I think it, honestly translates really well like I don't have any chronic pain but you know one of the things I really appreciated about working with you was we didn't start off like doing crazy things you know like we were doing pretty light things but what you were showing me was how to utilize the body in an effective manner so every movement had a sense of purpose and the more we repeated those movements I felt like we were targeting more and more specific muscles and um, do, you, do you think that that is a big part of like the corrective exercise uh, modality is that um, so like say someone has um, one muscle that is damaged or something's going wrong with it you have to be able to like kind of apply different exercises that help the muscles around it or are you trying to specifically target that muscle and strengthen that exact muscle so it's a little bit of both so the philosophy of corrective exercise is essentially, it has to do with the relationships with all of your muscles in your body. So we talk about in the exercise community, we talk about the body as one kinetic chain um, where each part is linked to the next. We talk about the five different kinetic chain checkpoints, ankles, knees, hips, shoulders, neck. Um, so really we're what we're doing when we're, we're we're looking at corrective exercise specifically is we're looking at the relationship between your muscles. So for example, um, one of the main things that myself and other corrective, ex corrective exercise specialists do is we do a lot of assessment for um, underactive muscles and overactive muscles. So for example, um, let's talk about somebody who is uh, chronically sedentary, somebody who's sitting all day every day. So this person is going to have a relationship between their glutes and their hip flexors. So most every muscle in the human body has antagonist-agonist relationship. So meaning, uh, if you think about your biceps and your triceps, one curls, one extends, one is flexor, one is an extensor. They work against each other. So if we have somebody who is chronically sitting, their glutes on the posterior backside of their body are going to be in a chronically shortened state, and their hip flexors are going to be a chronically um, or sorry, the glutes are going to be in a chronically lengthened state. Hip flexors are chronically shortened. What that's going to do is it's going to change the relationship with the pelvis. So it's tilting your pelvis forward. You have underactivity on the front or uh, underactivity on the backside, overactivity on the front. So really what we're doing is we're looking at a lot of different relationships. Um, and I'll tell you, the majority of it has to do with sedentary lifestyles. Um, today's day and age, 
most everybody can't just go straight from baseline where they're at right into high intensity exercise at the gym. You see it all the time where people, they, they, you know, get that spark and they're like, man, I really want to get fit. I really want to get healthy. And for whatever reason, they get that spark and they go to the gym and they either burn out really fast or they get injured very quickly. And the reason being is our, our, our lifestyles are so conducive for movement dysfunctions, for muscle imbalances, for really, really bad posture that they're not ready to start high intense exercise. Like when we, when we trained with you, we started with baseline shit. We were, you were, we were working on calisthenics type stuff. We're working on planking and, um, glute bridges and stuff that like most people try to avoid in the beginning mainly because their ego gets in the way and they don't work on the fundamentals and they don't, they don't learn to walk before they run. So the majority of people, and that's the philosophy of corrective exercises, the majority of people are not at baseline ready to embark in weight training. We have all these, you know, we, we talk about, there's really three main dysfunctions that most that you see in the, the, the most, the majority of the population. Um, you have lower cross syndrome, upper cross syndrome, and uh, pronation distortion syndrome. So upper cross syndrome, we're talking about really rolled forward shoulders. So if you, if you look at your daily posture when you're sitting on your phone, your iPad, your laptop, whatever, your shoulders are rolled forward. Then we look at the lower cross syndrome, your uh, pelvis is tilted forward, your back is really tight your hip flexors are really tight and your glutes are non-existent pronation distortion. You know, your feet are collapsing inward. You look at people who they squat and their knees just absolutely collapse to the inside. Um, and most of these issues really are, are, um, it's societal, you know, in sedentary lifestyles. It's this, it's those sedentary lifestyles that are really causing a lot of these issues that, um, creates the need for corrective exercise. Yeah. So do you feel like a lot of people's issue when they're trying to make the transition into a lifestyle that has fitness in it is that that lack of patience? Because they like, I feel like a lot in the society, like we're always looking for that magic pill to just fix the thing. And oftentimes we don't realize that like when we say fitness, like this is like one of the pillars of life, like how to be embodied, mm -hmm. how to use your body and how to like take care of it because entropy is always wearing it down. And I'm sure Absolutely. that's why anybody working in a gym around like new, um, around new year's, you know, all the, um, the new year's resolutions, everybody comes out for a couple of weeks and they go as hard as they can go. They probably either hurt themselves or just burn yep. out or they're not enjoying the process because they think that fitness is this one thing where everybody's just grunting and sweating and, um, pushing at their hardest where it's like fitness is actually like learning how to use the body in a well-rounded sustainable way. So unless you have that foundation, which is honestly like some of the most fun parts for me. Like, yeah, I like like r rising in weight and stuff, but I really like just like, oh, so standing in this certain way or like when I lift things, I'm doing it more with my back. And like that understanding, it's like, it's a lifestyle. It, t it carries with you when you get into the rest of the world. Like the true fitness is, you know, going through your daily life. Exactly. You know, you, you, you were spot on with that. Um, people want those quick fixes. They want, they want immediate results. And when they don't see them, uh, they become very frustrated, they burn out and they quit. And so what we really need to be doing and what, especially as trainers need to be doing is cultivating changes in people's psychology. 
So their relationship to their own bodies, their relationship to physical activity and exercise. Um, and it's really, really important to set realistic goals and realistic uh, expectations. Uh, when you, you know, I've, I, I see all the time, you see you these packages of ripped abs in 30 days with this special program. And I'll tell you, it's all bullshit. It is. If you if you are trying to tell people that they are going to have the perfect body in uh, two months, three months, six months, a year, even um, you're you're lying to them because anybody who's been in the fitness industry, you look at bodybuilders and they'll tell you it's it's taken them ten years to get to where they are. Uh, so you really it's it's you're doing a disservice if you tell people that they're going to have immediate results. I tell people all the time. Um, it's a game of patience. It really is. You have to, and one of the most important things that I try to cultivate is enjoyment. It's really, really important, and it, especially for adherence to exercise, is learning how to enjoy it. So for some people, being in the weight room may never be something they enjoy. So I would encourage them to search out those things that you enjoy. One of my absolute favorite activities outside of weight training, one of the reasons that I weight train so much is so that my body is prepared for long hikes. I love hiking. I've been hiking my entire life. Ever since I was a kid, my parents brought us to Utah, Colorado, uh, New York, all the awesome places to hike. And it, it just created this, this drive in me that I, all I want to do is see as much nature as possible. So for me, if all I did was ever hike, I'd still, you know, be decently in shape. I also love weight training, but you know, for some people, they might not ever like that. If you're, if your enjoyment is playing tennis, then what you need to do is you need to play tennis as much as you possibly can. The key, the real, the, the true, the true key, uh, is not one particular philosophy of you have to do Olympic weight training. You have to do CrossFit. You have to do this. It it's really just movement. Our bodies are meant to move. They're designed to move. We are very physical, capable beings with very intelligent bodies, and our bodies are really capable of doing some pretty incredible things. The key is that we just have to continuously move. We can't yeah. we can't have these stagnant lives. Yeah, I recently just heard the phrase that rest is rust, and it's kind of like the same thing of like if you don't use it, then you lose it. Yep. And I think that that's kind of a big thing. A lot of people don't really take into consideration that, yes, it does take work to start down this path, but it's arguably the same amount of work when you deal with illness. So it's like you're going to be spending that much energy in your life on your body. Do you want to do it for wellness or illness? Exactly. Um, but I, I also think like a big part of making it fun is like what you said, like making realistic short-term goals. And I feel like that's kind of where a lot of people have issues is like they come to the gym for their first time. They don't really know what they're doing, but they know that they're unhappy in their body. They're not comfortable. They don't feel good. And they'll keep up for it with a, for a few weeks. But because they end up don't they don't have the results, they don't have someone there helping them chart out realistic goals because they don't really know what the process looks like. They're kind of just swimming into the ocean blind, you know, and um, which is why I think it's like it's really important to have a teacher, which is what like you were a really good example of for me because you dispelled any of the myths that I had going into it. You showed me where to start, where to go. Um, it was a very clear path, and I think that that is honestly like really essential for the transition from sedentary lifestyle into one of actually being engaged and moving in the body. Um, exactly. You know, um, yeah, uh, having a teacher, you know, if you want to learn how to play, play the guitar, sure, there's, you know, 1% of people who are self-taught 
and can just pick up a guitar and, you know, they, they teach themselves how to do it. But for the majority of us, we really need to have a teacher. Um, if you want to learn math, try learning math on your own and doing self-taught math. It's very, very difficult. I myself have had numerous teachers throughout my life and without them, I definitely would not be where I am today. So, you know, it's, it's really invaluable to have that person who knows exactly what you need to be doing, somebody who can watch you every step of the way and not only just teach you, but also just encourage you. Uh, because the, one of the main things is people go at it, they go at it alone and they get discouraged really, really fast. So the, the body really doesn't respond, um, like when people start weight training, they think, oh, my muscles are going to grow almost instantly. And actually the first like couple months of weight training, you actually make no mass gains to muscles whatsoever. You're actually just training your neurological system at that point. So like swinging a baseball bat over and over, you're learning those neurological pathways, like, like shoveling snow, you're making a path. And eventually if you, you keep going through that same path, if you keep walking down that same path of snow, the path becomes easier and easier and easier. So you're training those neural pathways to become more in tune with your body. And it's, I'll tell you, it's, it's hard. Those first couple months of training you, you experienced with me, the, the, the first couple months are absolutely grueling. They're not easy. So having somebody along the way to guide you and teach you and be there with you during those first months is really, in my opinion, the most crucial, um, and when we talked earlier about, you know, setting realistic goals, when you go into the gym and people, one of the main things I see is people, they look like lost puppies. They're, you know, especially you go to Planet Fitness, look around, people don't know what to do. There's no guidance. There's, you know, they have machines everywhere, but um, even basic chest press machine, people screw up all the time. They have poor form. Um, so my biggest piece of advice would be to simplify it. Start with something very simple. Start with an at-home uh, program where you have someone teach you how to do basic things like planks and wall sits and stuff like that. And if you can only do a 10-second plank in the beginning, that's great. Next time, do 11 seconds. Time after that, 12 seconds. Then 13 seconds. And it's really just about gradually over time setting your sights not just right immediately in front of you, but set those sights way, way, way far ahead. Um, you know, this is supposed to be a lifestyle. We are, if you really want to get into the meat of it, if you really want to make lifelong changes and not spend so much more time with illness rather than wellness, if you want to live with a preventative lifestyle rather than treatment, because the, 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 the U.S. is based off of a treatment plan and type healthcare system. We want to treat illness. We don't want to prevent illness. So really just getting that into your head is this, this has to be a lifestyle. That's probably, that's the most important thing. And I think that that's where honestly, a lot of the real power comes from it. Like, yeah, anybody can like have a good body, but it takes something really special to be able to show up every day, even though you know that it's going to be physically uncomfortable. I think that like that forging, that dis distillation process of like your will shining through beyond the discomfort, I think is honestly one of the most beneficial things. And I do think like a teacher is really important for that because there will be times when your will won't be strong enough and you have to like know that that's going to happen. But that's where a teacher can come in and like, yo, one more rep, I yep. promise you, like just one more. That's all you need to do is show up for one more and that gets you to like fight that that psychological inhibition to like take that one next step 
And then when you take that next step, that's like the small gratifying um, like goal that you just met. So that actually creates positive feedback loops. So from my experience of working with you and what was cool is like I was noticing the neurological. I was noticing it was easier for my body to do the movements in a way that didn't cause extra stress. But it was also psychologically helping me show up for the rest of my life. You know, I was able to bring that same vigor and same energy and fire and be able to like apply it to specific practices. And to me, that's where like the mind-body relationship is is crucial. And I think even for um, like having a teacher, it, it helps your neurology and your physiology to see them having fun. I think like there is something in that and that we like, we have to like learn how to have fun with it. Exactly. If you're not used exactly. to going to the gym and you're living a sedentary lifestyle, going to the gym is kind of a scary thing. There's a bunch of ripped people just like grunting and sweating and like throwing <laughs> weights around. And you're just like, I don't belong here. I don't understand. But having someone like yourself. It's scary. Who, it, it's it's it, scary. It is. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, your job is also mirror. Yeah. Um, and that's, you know, you touched on the, the psychological aspect of it when you finish a workout and you know if you were on your own you might have quit a, a bit sooner than you would if you were with your trainer um but finishing that workout you, you can't describe how how wonderful you can feel sometimes um i have clients who show up sometimes and they you know they break down crying at the beginning of a session and by the end of it they're laughing and they're joking and they're like wow you know i just shit i needed that I really needed that. It's like a, it's a it's a sweet release. It's a stress relief. Um, you are you're spending that time. Anytime you spend an hour, no matter what practice you're doing, you're spending an hour creating a better self, working on yourself. Anytime you spend cooking a healthy meal, when you're done, you have just spent yeah. that time. Um, treating yourself, loving yourself and the, the emotional feelings, the emotional, um, benefit from it is I, I, I honestly not talked about nearly enough. Um, for, for, for those of us who have struggled with depression at any point in their life, um, yeah. obviously there's many factors to depression, but if you are not exercising and not eating healthy and you are, um, expecting it to get any better then I, I honestly think you're just doing yourself a disservice if you don't check out check those off of your list of okay if I'm not meeting my basic human needs my basic physiological needs my basic needs of um, expelling energy and movement then you're really not setting yourself up for success and um, overcoming that depression then um, that's something I really want to um, cultivate in the experience of training is is that enjoyment you know when i when i have a client i always ask them what's your favorite music like we'll, we'll play whatever it is that gets you going because that's a small part of it that just creates that enjoyment creates that um that safe space and that um that drive to actually do it and that's that you know that's really what it's all about yeah I mean, not even just on like a physiological level, because like we, we know scientifically like the endorphins that are pumping through your body after a workout, very beneficial for like maintaining a sustainable homeostasis. But like we said, like the psychological process of like breaking down during a session and then still moving, it kind of just like makes your mind seem just a little bit smaller. You're able to like step away from your problems. And if you can get through that really strong physical sensation, then like 
it, it just helps better prepare you for having an emotional situation. You know, it builds resiliency yeah. and strength and courage, you know, and I almost feel like anybody who ends up seeing like a therapist, like I feel like health insurance, if it covers like mental health, it should also cover physical training. Like this is a human right. <laughs> Amen. That's, you know, that's that's been something that I felt very passionately about for a very long time. Um, you know, you, you have insurance that will cover chiropractic care. You have insurance that will cover dentistry. When it comes to those things, it's very important for us to be able to prevent issues before they happen. Prevent those cavities by getting those teeth cleanings. Uh, but also preventing exercise has, has been shown to reduce the all-cause mortality of almost everything. So if you if you are exercising you are reducing your risk from death from pretty much everything. You are also reducing your risk from comorbidities, cardio, cardiovascular disease, heart disease, obesity, diabetes, all these things that, and I'll tell you, they are at an all-time high. We have never had, in the U.S., we've never had higher rates of diabetes and obesity. So the time is now. We need healthcare. We need people getting their, need, their, their needs met immediately. We need comprehensive reform and we need to stop looking at things as just treatment and we need to prevent things in the first place. So if we were to actually have reform and allow people to get training through their insurance, I, I'm telling you that would, that would drastically reduce our rates of all of these issues that are killing people. It would be, it would be astonishing how much, um, how much of a great effect it would have. And I think also speaking to like the idea of like diet, I think for me, like I've always had kind of a sensitive relationship to like my perception of how food affects me, but it really got kicked into high gear when I was working out and I was like, I don't have the energy to like do this, you know, and I'd still do it, but it really changes the way that you relate to food because you start to see food as fuel rather than just like hobby. Exactly. You know, and I, I think that that's also really, it, it just makes you more sensitive to every process in your body. You become more embodied, more in tune with, you know, not as associated with the mind and all its machinations, you know? Yeah. We're not just at that point. Um, we're not just mindlessly eating. And I think that's one of, as one, one of my other biggest passions is food and, um, the disc, the absolute disconnect that we have with food in this country and around the world is, um, it's something that needs to be changed if we're going to see drastic, um, changes in our healthcare, um, and obesity and diabetes and things like that. Um, we are, you know, if you eat a bowl of fruity pebbles and you knew this, if you eat a bowl of fruity pebbles a couple hours before you work out and that's all you've had, you are not properly, allowing your body to perform those activities. You are not fueling yourself with what your body needs. And when you start training, it's, it's a, a wild phenomenon that you, you start to crave things that are actually good for you. And you start to crave food that is real. And if, you know, if we, you look at any grocery store, go to any grocery store and watch what people put in their carts, watch what people put in their grocery carts. It is sugary cereal, it is pop, it is chips, it is candy. And, um, it really boils down to that disconnect with food. It, it it's really quite astonishing, um, 
you know, for example, this, this, um, this summer we actually started our first large garden, had like 80 some vegetable plants. And that's something that I really wish more people could have access to because growing the food yourself is something that even for myself, you know, I, I consider myself a healthy eater. I eat 80, 90% healthy food. You know, there's still that 10, 20%. Like when we went camping. <laughs> when, when, when we go camping and we eat yeah. chocolate and we eat s'mores and we're indulging, you know. The, 16 bags of chips. <laughs> maybe 16 bags it, of chips. It was cold, though. When it's cold, you have an excuse. We were hiking all the time. But, you know, having that garden, having that access, having that, you know, my hands deep into the dirt, um, regaining that connection to food has really helped me see you know, when I go to the grocery store, the first place I go is to the produce section and I'm filling my cart up. You know, I, we, my partner and I will plan out our meals for the week and we're like, okay, we need, we need five things of broccoli and three onions. And we're going through our list and planning out these meals. And the first place we go is to that produce. And before, you know, years ago, especially when I was in college, um, I'm, you know, up late night studying, trying to trying to pass those midterms. We, I was eating I was eating ramen noodles all the time, and you know it's it's hard for college students in general because we're we were overly worked all all the time, especially those of us who are also working full time. Having that disconnect with food is very easy, um, and quite honestly, in the, in the United States, one of the main issues with that disconnect with food is accessibility and education. So you have people in poor socioeconomic areas, they don't have access to, um, to healthy food. And I think that's one of the things that I'm, you know, very passionate about is um, educating people on food and also being an advocate for change so that everybody can have access to Yeah, health. I think it, it definitely bears like we need conversation around that because I think there's a lot of people who kind of like look down at people who don't eat healthy, but they don't realize that just like the socioeconomic situation that they're currently residing in is actually like really greatly limiting their access. And absolutely. What would you say to folks who may not have the most access to food or like a fitness like regimen? Like what are some like practical real world steps that they can take to like begin the process you know to just like inch a little bit closer like what is like the thing that would take the least amount of energy that would have the most impact i and honestly anywhere you start um you really just need to kind of keep it simple so when i talk to people about um changing their diets too often we look at these fad diets that want to all of a sudden cut out an entire group of food or they want to cut out all carbs and they want to cut out all this. I try to keep it simple for people. Um, when we, when we look at things like this, we want to look at longevity. We want to look at real long lasting change. So in order to make that happen, what we really need to be focusing on is keeping it simple, doing one step at a time. So for example, the, one of the first things I always tell people is, look at what calories you are drinking. Are you drinking pop? Are you drinking mocha, frappa, latte, chino bullshit? Are you drinking alcohol? If, if, if those are things that are in that pervade your life, your everyday life, start with that. Start with cutting out the worst shit that you eat or consume. And then very, very gradually from there, okay, What's next? All right, I eat, um, my breakfast isn't so great. I usually just eat a Pop-Tart and that's about it. 
slowly incorporating, okay, what can we eat? And for people in, in poor socioeconomic areas, finding health food that is cheap. As, you know, as college students and even after college, living on a budget, you learn how to eat food that is relatively inexpensive, eggs, bananas, um, things like that. Or, you, know, you can find cheap food that is relatively cheap, uh, you know, redundancy. Um, you, you, can, you can do it if you plan ahead. So planning ahead and just making really small steps. When it comes to the training aspect, there's a lot of resources online. I would... You know, I would encourage people to, you know, if you want to look up online, if you want to look up very basic programs, go ahead and do so. Start doing just really basic movements like a plank or a wall sit. Put it on a calendar. Um, set yourself a schedule and set yourself realistic goals. For a plank, let's say add five seconds onto your plank every week. And then eventually you're going to get to a point, one of the most important aspects of training and exercise is progressive overload. So what we need to be doing is progressively overloading the body. We need to be progressively overloading muscle tissue and progressively making things harder. So if I was just, just to do 30 second plank three times a week for the next year, I'm not going to make a whole lot of change because what you need to be doing is progressively making it more, more and more challenging because you're getting stronger, you're getting more capable. So setting those realistic goals and keeping it simple. Hmm. I'd almost advocate, uh, and you can maybe bounce back. I don't know if this is um, in terms of like dietary change for people who don't have the access. Like I found from what I've heard is that like additive behavioral change is actually more effective than destructive in that if you are someone who's drinking a two liter of soda every day, rather than completely cut that out, start drinking half a two liter of water. And then I guess that'd be a liter. Um, And then like once you start like working with that and you can actually start weaning yourself off, but you have to have something to replace it with. Otherwise you're going to do really good for a couple of weeks and then stress is going to happen and then it's going to bounce you right back to that position, you know? Um, Absolutely. That's a really, that's a really good point. Um, one of the, one of the things that research has shown the most with, um, diet, you know, nutrition is all over the place. When people say that one diet, one size fits all, um, I'm always very skeptical when any information comes out about any diet or any food, you know, when the American Heart Association came out and said coconut oil was leading to heart disease a couple years ago, I'm skeptical and, you know, Nutrition, even every nutrition professor I've ever had said nutrition is continuously changing. Just like any science, science is a continuously evolving phenomenon. It needs to continuously evolve. And when we talk about um, nutrition specifically, we need to be, um, we really need to be on our toes and we need to be um, aware that these fad diets are not, you know, they're not always cracked up to what they um, sound to be. But when it comes to, to, to diet change, one thing that they have shown is that if you just focus on increasing your fiber, just like you said, the additive versus like the destructive or taking away, if you just focus on increasing your fiber, that's if, if, if that's the only thing that you can focus on, then realistic changes usually do happen. Because if you start to focus on fiber, you're going to be starting to eat more whole foods, more grains, more um, well, healthy grains, and you're going to be eating uh, more vegetables and fruits and things like that. So definitely additive, um, that's definitely a good way to go for sure. 
Do you know, there's like a test where you can kind of get a level of like your macro and micronutrients, right? I don't know. Do you know what that's called? Um, so like a test for micro and macronutrients? Yeah, like kind of gives you like an average of your daily intake. Like you can like put in the food that you eat and then over like the course of a couple weeks, it'll be able to give you a readout of like, okay, so you're actually short in vitamin C or do you know uh, what So that's I'm not called? aware of like the micronutrient part. I've done diet apps where, um, you know, if you ever talk to somebody who wants to lose weight, tracking your calories is the most important thing. Um, so most of those diet apps will track your macros. So they're going to track your protein, carbon, fat. So the macronutrients, micronutrients, when we're talking about vitamins, minerals, things like that. Um, the one that I used in the past, I didn't see anything about tracking those micronutrients. Um, but at that point, you know, we're, we're getting a bit more specified of like how many precisely how much vitamin C and precisely how much vitamin D do we have. And at that point, um, well, in, in the beginning, when somebody was really starting to try to look at health, I would say to really just focus on um, intuitive eating, focus on uh, eating whole foods, increasing that fiber. You know, the, the micronutrients are going to come as a secondary byproduct of eating more whole foods. So if we look at processed foods, processed foods are pretty much void of most micronutrients unless you see fortified with calcium, fortified with vitamin D, they're having to add these things in. So if you really just focus on eating real whole foods straight from the ground kind of shit, um, then you are going to be getting those micronutrients. Mm. Yeah, and I, I like the idea of like intuitive eating. And I don't know if this is exactly what you meant, but how I typically navigate my diet is literally like, I explore my body like it's a laboratory and I'm like running certain experiments like, will this food make me, what does this make me feel? It's, it's a scientific exploration into your experience, you know? So like being, raising your level of mindfulness to be able to like really tap into how each food item that you eat makes you feel. Does it give you more energy? Does it make you a little tired? Does it hurt your stomach? Do you, are you bloating? You know, I think like having a little bit of awareness just around each of those, you can probably end up developing your own personal diet even without the help of somebody you know um exactly and 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 everybody's diet is going to be different um you know what your specific needs are is going to be different than my specific needs and um yeah you know just really really focusing on um intuitive eating like we were talking about and a lot of people the you know we talked about this earlier mindless eating the majority of us have been guilty of mindless eating at one point or another, but bringing more awareness around your eating and being more cognitive, no matter what diet you're prescribing to, um, as long as you are starting to become more aware, more mindful, more conscious, and not just mindlessly eating, then you're on the right track. Yeah. And I think that that process of expanding the level of awareness also does come from fitness and having exercise because you actually have something that you're building towards or something that you value there. And then when you find yourself mindlessly eating three bags of chips, then you're like, this is hurting my process. And it's like, I'm putting all this energy into like exercise and like this thing is detracting from that. So it is kind of like a natural inborn motivation to like clean that aspect up you have to have something that you're fighting for in order to even like start that process of inflection and exactly you know when i people think that trainers um are perfect eaters and that's just not true um however you know when i when i i do indulge and when i do indulge i do i allow myself to do it guilt-free 
However, when people, cause I, you know, I'm a, I'm programming that into my life because quite frankly, I want to eat ice cream until the day I die. I love ice cream. I will always love ice cream. However, I still want to maintain a level of fitness. So I'm going to allow myself those things. I'm going to allow myself those cheat meals and I'm going to allow myself to enjoy those things that I really love, but in, in moderation. So moderation is really the key moderation, conscious eating, not just blindly eating ice cream every single night, but allowing yourself those treats, allowing yourself to really live. And what that does is it, it prevents burnout. So you see people all the time, they, they start these fad diets and they cut everything that they love out of their life. And that might be sustainable for that 30 days. That might be sustainable for even up to a couple of months, but most of the time you're going to crash and you're going to binge. Um, they actually looked at one of the uh, research um, articles that we looked at in my uh, capstone class in at Grand Valley was we looked at uh, the, the Biggest Loser competition. So the Biggest Loser competition where they have all these um, people who are morbidly obese and they see how much weight can they lose as quickly as possible. People were losing 10 to 15 pounds a week. And what they found with this research was that I believe it was it was almost every single one of them had regained either back to where they were or even past that. Because what happened is these people did not create psychological change. They did not create lifestyle change with their diets and their habits and their relationship with their self. They didn't create any lasting psychological, emotional change. What they did was they were on a game show and they had these stressors and this pressure to lose this weight and incentive with a, a monetary gain and they gain it right back because they're not in instances like that they're not focused on real lasting change you know changing the way that you view yourself the way that you view food and the way that you view um health yeah it, it really i mean your outward ex- well, oftentimes there are definitely certain special cases, but it, your outer ex- appearance is often like a reflection of your internal priorities. I, I, I genuinely believe that. And again, there are definitely special cases where, you know, there's um, like a digestive system that isn't like operating properly. But um, I think that like you are a constant expression of what you prioritize and how you live your life, you know, and um yeah, I think in building that psychological framework, I, I think is really the most important thing. You see it all the time with like, even like gastric bypass surgeries mm-hmm. where they get a bunch of adipose tissue removed, but they don't address like the lifestyle, you know, but that's not really the doctor's fault, you know, that's, well, the entire system's fault for kind of not in having a more inclusive system. Absolutely. You know? And you know, with, um, with gastric bypass surgery where they're often, you know, cutting off or not cutting off, but sectioning off certain parts of, um, the GI system in, in today's age with those kinds of surgeries, and they've actually learned quite a lot about, um, the psychology of learning to eat healthier. They actually, in many cases, like let's say someone's 500 pounds and they want to, uh, come get gastric bypass surgery. In many cases, they will actually not let you, get the surgery until you can prove that you can lose the weight on your own. So they will have a minimum or they'll have 
a certain amount of weight that you have to lose before you can actually get the surgery, which I think is making those surgeries a lot more effective for people because, uh, and you often will have a nutritional counselor with you along the way, and they're teaching you about healthy eating, they're educating you, and really it all boils down to education. We need to educate people, um, but they're, they're, they're along with you during the entire process, and you have to lose a certain amount of weight in order to get that surgery, which I think is a really good practice because, it, you know, again, it really all boils down to those habits and that healthy lifestyle. Yeah. And I think education is honestly, I mean, that kind of keeps coming up in this conversation. I think it is an important element of um, the practice that you offer. And um, anybody who's like a physical trainer, you know, it's like, if you're not educating your clients, and you're kind of creating this like dependency, where they're not able to actually take their wellness into their own hands. And right off the bat, like working with you, I immediately picked up like, oh, you care about my relationship to my body for like me, you know, it wasn't because I was giving you money or this or that. It's like, you really do need that empathy to be able to like walk people through it. Like we can't have gatekeeper physical trainers, you know, we need people who are inviting you into the process. And I think that that's um, maybe like a re a shift and reprioritization that we're starting to see, um, at least from my experience of the people I'm talking with, yeah. you know, you know, I'll, um, I'll say the, the majority in this fitness industry want to create dependence. Uh, that's something that I've really felt very passionately about that I want to fight against is that, um, and I've seen it with other trainers, uh, they want to create this dependency, um, where in order for me to keep a client, I'm going to keep you kind of in the dark. I'm going to keep you, uh, dependent on me for knowledge and, when I have a client, I'm very upfront with them. If I truly do my job, if I truly am successful in training you and teaching you, you won't need me eventually. And you know that that, that kind of sh it sounds like shooting yourself in the foot, trying to get your clients to the point where they don't need you. But that's truly ultimately the goal for somebody who is training with the right purpose. Is I want to teach you to the point where you are independent of me. And for some people, you know, I'm not saying that's going to be, uh, some people have the expectation that they're going to learn everything that they need to know in 12 sessions. And I'll tell you that's never going to happen. It's, it's just, it's not possible. Um, I, myself, there's no way I could learn everything that I've known about training in even just a year. It's a long process. However, my ultimate goal is to teach you to the point where you can even teach other people. They always told me in college that the way to truly know if you know something is if you can teach it to somebody else. So if you can then go and teach a friend how to do something, then that's you, that's an indicator that you truly finally know it. And then I will actually, it's, it's kind of fun sometimes, but I will quiz my clients when I am training them. I will quiz them and I will try to get them to demonstrate to me how something works and how uh, a particular movement works and get them to, to teach me, get them to explain it to me so that you can actually make those long lasting changes in your brain. And that's, that's what I wanna see. I want to see like, for example, when you and I were working on hip hinge or Romanian deadlift, we worked on that repeatedly. We worked on it over and over and we practiced and practiced and practiced and practiced. And now when I see you do it, I know without a doubt that it is going to be pristine movement 
because we had just spent that diligent time teaching you over and over and over how to do it. And independently, you could you could probably teach someone how to do a hip hinge or a, de- uh, a Romanian deadlift at this point. And that's ultimately the goal. You know, I um, I foresee myself at some point in my life potentially moving yeah. to a teaching career. So moving into university of sorts and teach um, kinesiology or exercise science because I truly just enjoy the teaching aspect of um, health and fitness. Yeah. And I actually was ending up uh, teaching someone, um, our mutual friend, Mike, who was also training with us. You know, we met up and he's like, I don't really know. And I'm like, wait, I, I know this because it's trained into my neurology at this point. <laughs> it's been if I don't do it a few times. <laughs> I, uh, yeah. Then I get a bunch of shit for it. And, but that's like a part of it, you know, with the right the right people. So do you have a plan for the folks that you maybe have been working with for a while who, I don't know if you even have any clients at this point, but um, that are like this, but if someone, if you feel like, oh, okay, I could start weaning them off because they know how to do things. Have you reached that with anybody? And like, what does that process look like? How do you communicate that? To um, them? I have in the, I have in the past, um, for most of my clients right now, I'm seeing them either one, two or three times a week. However, I have graduated people in the past to, Hey, you know, I think you're doing really well with your program. Um, I think that we should maybe switch it to more like a monthly meetup or every other week just to continuously check in on these concepts. Um, But I have, you know, I have not gotten to the point where I've graduated anybody entirely from my training. Um, You know, it's, there's a lot to learn. There is a a tremendous amount to learn about exercise and fitness. And right now, every single Mm -hmm. one of my clients keeps coming back eager to learn more. Um, so if I, if I got to a point where I really, really felt like, Hey, you don't need me. I, you, you run along, go on yeller. You can, you can go on your way. Um, I definitely would. Um, but at this point I haven't had, um, anybody truly graduate from my care yet. Yeah. But I feel like even like the idea of like weaning people off, I think it like it frees up your space so that you can focus on the people who are still just getting into the path. And, you know, I think that that is like kind of a a healthy way to approach like an entrepreneurial business. You know, I think that's something I explain to my dad often about how um, with my massage therapy practice, I want some of the same ideas in that. Like, I don't want to have consistent clients because it shows that like we're not actually addressing the problem. And like, I think massage, you know, is wonderful on its own element, but like, I really do want to be a massage therapist. I want to be able to have tools that equip my clients with the, the tools to be able to like take their wellness into their own hands. And that is like an important thing. And I think for any true wellness practitioner, I think that should be the business model. And I think we're starting to see that kind of like rise up. At least I am in my life from connecting with you and a few other people who are in the same boat. Exactly. And um, when I, you know, if I were to start cycling in, cycling people out and cycling new people in, my ultimate goal is to impact as many people as I can. I want to really, you know, any, any one of us in the health and fitness industry, we want to create change in this world. We want to create as much, um, healthy behavior as we can. And one of my passions is to work at people at baseline. I want to help you, you know, it goes all the way back to me as a 14 year old boy, uh, wishing that my coach would spend more time teaching me how to deadlift because when I'm, you know, trying to deadlift 200 pounds at 14 years old and I don't even know that glutes are a part of the equation. 
I don't even know about br properly bracing the core or how lats have anything to do with stabilization of the trunk. You know, when I, when I look at all these people at Planet Fitness, I just desperately want to go over and help them and teach them and show them how to do things. So if I continuously have a flow of clients and I continuously um, teach people as much as I possibly can, then I can get back to the basics and get back to that 101 type shit that teaching you how to brace your core and teaching you these things that are really going to be quite life-changing because it's the things, it's the 101 things, the the, the really basic things that can have such a drastic impact on people's chronic pain specifically. So one of the things that I see with people with chronic pain is just glute and core weakness. And if I can just in six sessions show you how to properly brace your core when you're picking something up, that might reduce your chance of having that back spasm that you've been dealing with. That might be the thing, just the, the golden ticket to reducing your back pain is something so simple as doing some planks you know, four or five times a week or doing some glute bridges every morning just to get your glutes a bit more active. It's that it's that super simple stuff that I really do have a, a passion for teaching. Yeah. So what are some of the most common things? I mean, based on that, like what are the most common things that you see people miss or like mess up with or probably just like weren't trained properly or taught well? Like what are the, the common reoccurrences that you typically have to correct? So um, there's there's a lot. There's a lot of issues. And again, it comes to sedentary lifestyle. Um, some of the main things that I notice, the main muscle group that I see people really lacking in would be their glutes. So your glute max, glute medius, glute minimus, um, buttocks essentially. Um, so really, and you know, they say this, the saying sitting is the new smoking. It is absolutely true. So I see this with, I'll tell you pretty much a hundred percent of the clients that I've had so far in my life that their glutes need to be worked on, especially people with low back pain. It's often such a simple solution of training your hips and your glutes how to properly extend and properly do their job. Because if I bend over to pick up a 20 pound box, and you know, they always say lift with your legs, lift with your legs. And that's what my coach told me at 14, lift with your legs. That's a simplistic way to tell people how to lift something. That's, it's not really telling you the, the true nature of lifting things, it, it's not telling you the purpose of what your glutes do. So your glutes should be the primary driving factor in many of these lifts. Um, so glute weakness is definitely something that I see very often. Um, core weakness, definitely for sure, core weakness. And then also coming back to the upper cross syndrome, so upper cross syndrome, again, is that rolled forward of the shoulders. So your shoulders are really rolled forward. Your chest is very, very tight. So your pectoral muscles are very, very tight, pulling the shoulders forward. Um, often you're going to see people with their necks kind of jetted forward. They have really, really tight upper traps and they have um, really, really um, chronic neck pain and migraines can often happen from this, uh, headaches. So this, this upper cross syndrome really stems from this, you know, when you see it with a lot of guys, they want to push so much more than they pull. So everybody wants to bench press. 
Everybody wants to bench press as much as they possibly can. But what we're neglecting is the basic movements for the upper back. We're neglecting our rhomboids and our mid traps and our low traps. And that's something that I see all the time. You see scapular winging where people's shoulder blades are popping way out and you can see that bony medial side of it. That's one of the most common things I see as well. And again, it has to do with we're always sitting on our phones, we're rolled forward, uh, we're typing at our computers, our heads jutted forward. So that's something that I, I see with almost every single one of my clients. And it's, it's a complex issue and it's not going to be the same for everybody. But there are general themes that the majority of us should be rowing more. So we should be doing movements where we're pulling with our back muscles, um, whether it be dumbbell rows, whether it be cable rows, whatever it, whatever it is, we need to be pulling more and we need to create stronger upper backs. And, um, and that's really going to help with shoulder health. Shoulder, shoulder pain and shoulder injuries are extremely common, partly due to the fact of the upper cross syndrome and partly due to the fact, just the nature of your shoulder girdle and your shoulder joint itself. Um, this combination of joints with your scapulothoracic joint, um, your glenohumeral, it's a very mobile set of joints. So if we get into these postures, these forward rolled postures, it's setting us up for injury. It's setting us up for rotator cuff issues and neck pain and back pain. Um, and even, you know, if we look at the, the, for example, somebody with low back pain, often the, the source of the, the site of the pain is not necessarily always the source. So people with low back pain, it could be that they have upper back issues. Um, and that's just, I see it all the time. It's that rolled hunched forward posture. And that's, that's very common. Yeah. It's one of the things that you were telling me about when I was telling you about my workout thing is like, you're not doing any rows. Like you're just pushing yep. a bunch and I'm like, Oh yep. shoot, you're right. Yeah, and you see people, um, pushups are very popular. Pushups are a wonderful exercise. And for a reason it's, it's good old fashioned calisthenic work and it works your core. It's, 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 a fat burning kind of movement. So we're getting a lot of energy expelled from it, but, um, people will focus so much on their chest. They'll focus so much on their pressing movements and they're totally going to neglect their back. And that's just perpetuating this, this movement dysfunction, this distortion, postural distortion cycle of rolled forward shoulders. And I would, I I'll tell you, I definitely, um, had it for a very long time back in high school, uh, my main focus was, you know, every, every guy wants those big beefy shoulders and big beefy chest. Now, fast forward, you know, 10 years, I, I row three to four times more than I push. So I do maybe like one to two full chest workouts per week. And I'm doing like three or four back type exercise, even if it's just something super simple as just hitting some banded work. So it's really low activity, but just getting that, that volume, getting that extra volume for the back is really, really important for that type of uh, dysfunction. Mm. Yeah. And I mean, I feel like, do you, do you feel like it's um, a big part of that is also because of lifestyle or do we just have a natural tendency to kind of roll the shoulders forward or, um, have we had to like, well, I think it's, go ahead. I was just gonna say, have we had to like modulate the way that we work out just because of our lifestyle or is that just natural tendency? Well, I think it's natural tendency just because of the way that we are, you know, our, our eyes are on the front of our head, not the back of our head. 
So everything that we do, we're writing with our hands. We're, when we're drawing, we're rolled forward. When we're driving, we're rolled forward. We do everything in that plane of motion in front of us. So I think that's just kind of the way that humans are. And, you know, you look at societal, you look at our culture of um, all the things that we're doing for extended periods of time. So that's one of the biggest issues is there's no such thing as there's, there's really no such thing as bad posture per se. There's postures we spend too much time in. So it doesn't matter what posture you're in. If you spend too much time in it, it's going to be it's going to cause issue. So um, they actually looked at, for example, guys in the military. Guys in the military have excessively good posture. So they're always, their shoulders are pulled back, they're at attention. And um, for physical therapists, what they might be prescribing for these guys is to slouch. So they want them to slouch forward and roll forward. So really the key here is that we spend too much time in sedentary postures and static postures. It doesn't matter what it is. If you spend too much time with your arms raised over your head like a painter, then that's going to cause issues. If I spend too much time slouched on a couch, that's going to cause too many issues. Um, if a gymnast spends too much time with excessive spinal extension, that's going to cause issues. Uh, one of my favorite sayings is uh, motion is lotion for your joints. So the, our bodies are meant to be in a constant state of motion. We want to be moving unless we're resting. So that's really that's really what it boils down to is spending too much time in static postures for, I mean, you look at people who work for eight hours a day. I have a couple clients right now who during COVID, they have been stuck at home and they're working for eight hours on their computer and they're sitting in their desk and they're rolled forward and they're typing. And they're, I'll tell you the, the, their neck pain goes through the roof, shoulder pain goes through the roof. And it's, it's just that sedentary static posture. That's the issue. Mm. So this all comes from the umbrella of like corrective exercise, like this approach to it, or is this something that's kind of universal? It, you know, it's pretty universal with the fitness industry. It's, um, you know, in my, in my undergrad degree, uh, and my certified personal training, we definitely talked about this type stuff. Corrective exercise just goes a little bit more in depth into, um, not only the mechanism of what happens, but also the the solution. So how to how to correct these distortion syndromes, how to correct this this movement dysfunction and postural dysfunction. And most of the time, you know, when I have a client walk in the door, I am assessing them right off the bat. You know, before we even start exercising, if they're a brand new client, I'm going to I'm, I'm, I'm looking at their posture. I'm looking at their feet, their knees, their hips, their, their, their stomach, their low back, their everything. I'm looking at their, their posture. So that f gives me my very first indication of what's going on. And often people come to me for specific reasons. Either they have never known, you know, they've never known how to weight train and they want to learn how, or they come to me because they have specific issues, pain going on. And that gives me the first indicator. If you walk in, and you're slouched forward and your shoulders are rolled forward and your belly's sticking out and you have a major curve in your low back and your pelvis is tilted forward. That's like bingo. We, we know generally what to do from there. 
After that, we're going to go through more like dynamic movement. I make you do some squats and some planks and some push-ups and some rows. And then I'm going to see during movement, during dynamic movement, what the issues are a bit more specifically. Um, so yeah, it, it really, it's all about that motion. It's all about, um, getting people to move more, getting people not, you know, if you're in those static postures, I always tell people, if you're, if you're sitting at a desk for eight hours a day, make sure, you know, periodically, if you can do it every half hour, get up, stretch out those hip flexors, get some, some extension to your spine, move, move your body, get those pecs stretched out. It can be really, really valuable. Yeah, I mean, I think that's super important for this day and age is like you can do a lot of this stuff literally right where you work. You can stand up and spend 30 seconds balancing out, you know, and I, the more that you do that, the more natural it becomes and like the more stretched out you become, you know, it's you could do this stuff literally anywhere. It doesn't take a gym. It doesn't take a I mean, trainers help you point out the things that you might need to do but you can probably even feel where you're tight and you can just do a quick google and like figure out stretches that alleviate that specific thing you know like there's always something that you can do exactly and um having somebody there who's an expert and you know if we're if we start googling our symptoms you ever get caught in those web md cycles where you're like shit i'm dying i gotta keep looking at web md and <laughs> you're looking at all of this information and it's overwhelming and um i've done that myself i've i've got caught in these cycles of um mm -hmm. even before i was educated when i was dealing with pain and i'm trying to diagnose myself that's when it's really it becomes really 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 tricky and it's kind of just shots in the dark and you're just you're blindly shooting at that dartboard saying oh maybe this will help maybe this will help but if you go to somebody you know myself or a physical therapist or somebody who knows what they're doing you're going to you're going to get those results a lot faster. You're going to get out of that pain a lot faster and you're not going to be shooting in the dark. Um, and you're going to have somebody yeah. who's, you know, somebody like me who's been through those experiences, been through that pain, but also treated many people for them. And a lot of these things, like we were talking about before, they're common themes. It's, it's really, really common. I don't want to say all of them, but the majority of my clients have some sort of postural dysfunction going on even myself you know people often like to think of trainers as perfect i still have shit going on with my body i'm still constantly working on um, my posture and my distortions and dysfunctions and muscle imbalances and it's just a never-ending process and when you get to the point where i'm at you you love it i love uh, I, do, I i love the process i love constantly learning and i love being forced to be diligent about it, but having that trainer who could um, really just like, like I said, the second you walk through that door, I'm starting to figure out, I'm starting to diagnose and figure out what's going on before we even start our session. And then one session in two sessions and three sessions in, it's almost like the, the, the layers of your body, like an onion, just get peeled apart. And we're just seeing deeper and deeper and deeper what the issues are because, you know, I can get kind of a broad picture when I first see you, but it's going to take, you know, several sessions for us to start really figure out what's going on. Cause there's only so much you can do in an hour. Um, so having that continuous checkup and that continuous, um, analysis really helps. 
Yeah, I mean, it's a relationship. It's kind of the same thing with massage therapy. You know, I have a lot of people come in and they'll get a one sixty minute massage, and then they're like, "Oh, I mean, I feel good, but like, I still have a little bit of this." You know, it's like it's a relationship. You got to like learn the language of each other. Exactly. And I think by you being vulnerable with your story and your own openness about your chronic pain, I think that that's that's really powerful energy to be bringing into that container because it doesn't let you put yourself on a pedestal, you know, and I think that that also turns a lot of people off as well. Exactly. So, I mean, with you and your specific practice, that's also a big part of what folks are paying for when they come to you is your deep desire to learn, your openness, your vulnerability, um, plus the space you have is also really incredible, you know, so... um, yeah, I, I yeah. literally tell everybody who wants to get into fitness, I'm like, yo, David, I'm telling you, like, you will not regret it. Like, <laughs> one, two meeting, even just like the first meeting, you know, you end up leaving with so much from my experience. Um, it just, yeah, you're, you're, yeah, thank you. You're transmitting like your view of the body to people through your enthusiasm and your vulnerability. And I think that that's what people need most is like a new framework for how to relate to their body. Exactly. Which is, I mean, what I'm trying to do with this show, but it really takes like being in the same space with someone who has that relationship already for you to be able to be like, oh, this is possible. Like he's got the same situation going on and he's like, pretty swole you know and like it gives people hope just by being in the same space Um, yeah and that's that's something that i really um i you know most everybody who knows me has heard me talk to some degree about uh my issues my pain but it's really wonderful to be able to show people living proof of how much training can drastically uh, change your life you know i was talking about years and years ago when i could barely bend over and tie my own shoes and I was sitting on an ice pack every day I was missing you know I'm a very social person I um, before COVID I'm spending as much possible time as I can with friends and there was more times than I can possibly count that I had to miss out on events because I was in so much pain but fast forwarding to now I'm not going to say everything's resolved it's an ongoing process especially when you have um, issues and and Injury, many, many injuries compounded on each other. It's going to be a long process and you might not ever be 100%. But for me to go from that, you know, barely being able to walk around the block when I tore my hamstring to now, you know, yesterday I just finished a 10 mile mountain biking ride where we were pushing it, pushing it to the max. And, um, you know, I genuinely have very little pain now there's days that there's there's days that suck there's days that i try to roll out of bed and i'm like oh shit my back hurts today and you know in the past that might have been defeating that might have been like okay i guess i'm laying in bed for the rest of the day but now you know now that i know that i can get out of that pain i will you know get myself up chug my glass of water, go downstairs and just slowly trying to get into it. And the majority of time, you know, I can treat that pain quite well. And just, just for me, it feels very encouraging to see, um, the infrequency of pain bouts that I have now compared to, um, four or five years ago. And, you know, my partner, Randy is absolute angel. She was, um, massaging me, massaging my back every single day that it hurt and helping me get the ice on my back helping me do stuff like that um but being being a lot more physically capable now is it's really 
Yeah, I know people can see it when I train them that I'm uh, very energetic and very um, enthusiastic about the fact that change can happen and change as long as you're diligent and you don't give up. And I tell this to people all the time, you don't have the option of giving up when you have when you have chronic pain. Um, some people with chronic pain are typically some of the strongest people I know. Um, and you just, you wake up and you just keep pushing forward and there's really, um, there's no option to give up and you have to get that into your head because in many instances and chronic pain is a, a pretty leading cause of suicide and depression. Um, but trying to get it into people's, um, heads that you, you just have to keep pushing forward. Even the days that are horrible, if you if you can just um, if you can do one thing, if you can get out of bed and do one stretch, then you've then you've at least done more than um, than you thought you could. And that's you know it's it's pretty powerful stuff. Yeah, I think that this is probably the best time to bookend this. Um, so before we do that, though. Um, where can people find you? How can they interact with you? Um, so right now, um, you know, I went from being a trainer, kind of a, a nonchalant freelance trainer, working out of um, taking people into Planet Fitness and uh, going into people's homes and doing home training. I went from there to working at Snap Fitness after my internship um, at the end of undergrad. Um, just ended my time with snap fitness a while ago so that I could start my home gym. So, um, I have a fully, fully equipped home studio with, um, everything that we could possibly need. So I have a cable crossover machine, full dumbbell set, squat rack, bench press, all the fixins, all the little, you know, bands and straps and everything that I use on a pretty regular basis. Um, so people can find me, you can find me on Facebook, you can find me on Instagram, um, I'm, you know, quite responsive when it comes to people messaging me and, um, I do offer free sessions to everybody. So if anybody, anybody anywhere wants a free personal training session, I will give everybody that first one just, you know, because I think it's a really important to, to see me, to experience me. I know tons of people who've gone to trainers and said, you know, I didn't, I did I just didn't like the guy or girl or whomever. And then, and it just didn't quite click. So I think it's really important to offer people that that free session. You know, if you want to try it out, there's no hard feelings if you don't want to. I give people sessions for free sessions all the time. Um, so it's it's in it's in our home, and um, eventually my ultimate goal is going to be to open a studio. During COVID, you know, my partner and I were actually looking at a studio. The I think two weeks before COVID hit, before March. Uh, 16th and we were looking at a space and looking at um, I think it was like 1200 square foot studio and we were we were really excited about it and you know my most everybody in the fitness industry has had this ultimate goal of being self-employed and having that home having that studio is really the ultimate goal Um, but we were looking at it and something just didn't quite feel right we felt this intuition this gut feeling of I think we need to hold off and then, you know, a week or two later, we, we got shut down and it was like, you know what, I, I think that was a good move. And we kind of refocused and um, we, we built, we totally redid the, the basement, totally um, remodeled and um, put the studio down there. So it's really, you know, it's, it's enjoyable to be able to work out of my home. Um, but eventually I definitely want to get out and um, open, up that, open up that gym or studio. 
Wow. That's, yeah, I didn't realize that you guys were like almost about to get it. I remember hearing about it, but I didn't know. Wow. That lined up. Yep, we were there. Bizarrely. Wow. Well, it always kind of rolls that way. Just got to trust those gut feelings. Cool. Well, awesome. Thank you so much for joining me, David. I really enjoyed this. I think a lot of people are going to get a lot of good out of this. Um, It's good for them to be able to hear your voice um, and to kind of get what you're about before they make that plunge. And it's a plunge worth making. So I definitely uh, implore everybody who is semi-curious on like getting involved more with their body. Um, If you're in West Michigan, uh, give David a holler. All of his contact info is going to be uh, in the description, his phone number, social security number, his credit cards, bank <laughs> accounts, whatever you guys want, it'll be there. Don't worry. Address, Address license yep, yep. plate. You can have all, one of his cats. Of yep. No, that's not. Yep. My, my schedule. You can have my schedule. Yep. Yep. You can watch me whenever you want. Cool. I do. So you know. <laughs> um, all right, David. Thank you so much. Uh, it's been a pleasure. I will. Thank talk you, to you so much, Brett. I really, really appreciate you having me on and. Um, we will see you soon. Yeah, of course. All right, bud. I'll see you soon. All right, my friends, that was the show. Thank you for tuning in. If you're listening to the end, I love you. I appreciate you. I really, uh, make the show for you. Those who stick out to the end. Um, yeah, thank you so much. Uh, if you do wish to connect with David, if you wish to get that free training session that he's offering, um, follow the links down below, get connected to him on Facebook. And we will see you next week.